0: And welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything. Healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy in my office, actually. And we are at our an unusual time today because I am going to be traveling to South Dakota later today. So we are at um, nine o'clock instead of 12:30 to 1:30, which is where you can usually catch our Monday podcast every Every Monday on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube. So, um, please share this. Go to those sites. Uh, subscribe, like, comment. Let us know what you'd like to hear. Um, as you know, we talk everything healthcare from from diet, from exercise, from sleep to hormones to um, politics of healthcare to affordable healthcare. Um, and, and how to afford healthcare. We always talk, we always get told how expensive healthcare is. Um, but guess what? It doesn't have to be that way. There's a lot of ways to save money on healthcare, and that's one of the things that we like to do is educate and empower you to make your own decisions on healthcare, and that includes financial. So we have Jeannie Moore, she's a nurse today, and she's going to be talking to us about healthcare cost containment strategies. Jeannie, welcome to our show.
1: Hi, nice to be here.
0: Yeah, so we were chatting a little bit before the show. Thank you for coming on. I, I found you on LinkedIn, so if anybody is looking to find um, Jeannie, you can find her Jeannie Moore on LinkedIn. Actually, I think it's Nurse Jeannie, correct?
1: Um, I use a number of aliases, but if you focus on <laughs> if you focus on Nurse and Jeannie and more, you'll probably find me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great. That's great. Um, so. I was talking to you before the show a little bit about your history of becoming a nurse and mm-hmm. kind of the aha moment of, of you know, why you decided to do something um, different. So go ahead and explain that story.
1: Okay. Well, so I graduated from a uh, college. I fell into the BSN program because the diploma program at Lutheran Hospital had closed. So I, I've always fallen into where I am. It's just kind of a, been a... Uh, theme of mine. But uh it ended up loving cardiology because my father was a heart patient. So, did cardiology for about 10 years. And uh, one night I was filling in in the unit and we had a balloon pump, an 84-year-old lady on a balloon pump. And then the cath lab had rolled in a gentleman who only had the left main artery open and the rest were shut down. And I found myself going in between these two patients and going into the hopper room and crying because uh, I was helping one person end his life and another one I couldn't understand why we were putting in a balloon pump, which back in those days was considered a last-ditch effort. Uh, At 84 years old, this kind, lovely woman um, is in misery um, on the Bloom pump. So I left the hospital trying to find something different. Uh, And I landed at Principal Financial Group, which taught me the business side of the healthcare system. And I spent a number of years there. Uh, Ended up getting my MBA and I love the financial aspects of everything. And the last position I had was at a brokerage firm and I had 3,000 health insurance brokers across the country and maybe one or two could understand what I was trying to tell them, which is when you're with the BUCAs or the large insurance companies, the health plan is the same. Uh, the health performance report is the same and it's designed actually to do one thing and that is to sell another service, but the services don't actually help to lower the cost of care. So um, that's when I decided to leave there and uh, develop my own uh, company and then COVID hit. So, but my company is focused on getting registered nurses who understand both the healthcare delivery and the health insurance industries. They are two of the most complex ecosystems you'll ever wanna see. But nurses who understand both of those worlds to work directly with employers because we've got to get the employers on board. Um, Healthcare, uh, uh, there's a number of barriers between the nurses and the employers. But we've really got to wake the employers up because, at the end of the day, um, the middle class is what's paying for it all—either through taxes, or their benefits, or they're not able to give, get raises, et cetera. So, it's the middle-class working person that I'm trying to pre- protect out of all of this. So, you
0: mentioned—you mentioned, you mentioned um, it's complicated. So, mm-hmm. do you think that's by design?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) All of this chaos that we're seeing is completely and utterly by design. Even from the Affordable Care Act to the medical loss ratio, it's all designed to cripple the middle class.
0: Well, I will tell you, I've had over the last few years, having former teenage boys, they're they're grown and healthy and adult males now, but... um, you know they had accidents broken bones and mm-hmm. i will tell you you know the bills coming from the hospitals you know all the surprise bills non-transparent pricing um you know bills coming out of left field it's like oh gee i mean i, I would thought that part was included but you know <laughs> you know imaging um is separate the doctor's fee is separate. The pathology mm-hmm. is separate. The lab is separate. So you get all these bills, and you know, my wife and I are both pharmacists. We're in healthcare, so we're helping our son navigate this. And he was eighteen right. at the time. Um, but you know, and he's getting sent all these bills. He was still under under um, our our um, health sharing ministry, so we were responsible for his payments. But I mean, I can't imagine somebody that wasn't in healthcare making any sense of it.
1: Right. Well, and the other problem to add to this is we are generally at our most vulnerable when we access this chaotic, completely, I have friends who call it the cartel. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, it's funny to say that.
1: It's It's like you are walking into a who knows what's going to happen on the other side.
0: Well, uh, you mentioned BUCA before. Tell us what BUCA is. And I got a little, um, I can sure. go tell. Tell us what BUCA is.
1: So, BUCA is the Blue Cross Blue Shield, which that's a whole other story. We'd have to have two more hours for. But, Blue Cross Blue Shield, United, Cigna, Aetna, Humana. So, any brand name insurance, anybody who can afford an, a, a commercial on TV that's who you don't want to work with because right. they are <laughs> they have the ability to afford to market to you yeah, and tell and you how wonderful and kind and, you know, uh, I watch our local uh, blues plan and I just, oh, well, they're right, really not right. that nice. <laughs> let's, talk
0: about, let's talk about what a cartel is and how that cartel happens. And you can um, piggyback on this. So Okay. The the Mm Bucas, they are in in collusion with hospitals and big healthcare corporations Mm -hmm. to create a cartel Mm -hmm. to essentially screw the consumer, overcharge the consumer. And they they control the prices Mm -hmm. and the consumer does not benefit. The consumer pays higher prices. That's really what a cartel is when the consumer really can't drive the prices lower. Now- you're going to give us away where we can. But in general, when you deal with those bukas, that, that, that's exactly what it is. It is a cartel. The hospitals, the big clinics, they're in collusion mm-hmm. with those companies to create a cartel.
1: Right. And it is it is really aimed at the end goal of destroying the middle class. So I'll give you an example. I remember when I was in nursing school, we used the term patient. And they instructed us to change that to client. So many, many years, we would refer to the client. And then, oh, 15, 20 years ago, it transitioned to consumer. And that's when I went, oh, this is not good. Nobody wants to consume healthcare. It is not on your top 10 things of dreams and goals that you want to do with your investment, right? I don't want to spend money on healthcare you do it out of necessity or you do it out of your thought that you need it because you've been very well marketed to. So to give you one example are the hips and knees replacements that we're getting. And the reality is, is that most often if you blow out your knee and it's cartilage to cartilage, you can strengthen the muscles around that knee through physical therapy and do pretty well right? Mm -hmm. Or you can get a surgery, knee replacement surgery, and the number of patients that complain of the constant pain from their knee surgery, even though they're exercising, doing everything right, that pain never seems to go away. So those are the types of decisions that we want patients to take a break. You've gotten all of this information. Now come talk to a nurse who will look at all the scientific study, which have been bought and purchased for by pharmacy. That's a whole, ph- big pharma. Absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. So we have to rewrite all of our scientific studies too. Uh, but um, needless to say, critical thinking clinicians, pharmacists, nurses, uh, physicians, physical, thing, it doesn't matter what role you're in, the point is we have to be critically thinking, in other words <laughs> we have to have been trained appropriately in school so that we can critically think this through with the patient and it's not just I, I I use nurses because that's who I am, but I really mean those critically thinking team members um, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to call you, right, It's it's a matter of building a network of uh, good, solid clinicians.
0: Well, and, you know, speaking of surgeries, you um, you kind of hitting a l- little bit on it, but I mean, there are so many unnecessary surgeries. Oh. And and the reason why is because there again, the cartel, um, mm-hmm. there is, you know, uh, a collusion with Premier Blue Cross the or the Bukas, as you call it, um, to pay for these surgeries. So mm-hmm. you know, when I'll have a patient say, well, you know, I had knee pain. and They say I need X Y Z done. It's like, well, have you tried some other things first? Right. Um, we had an orthopedic surgeon on our on our show, um, Dr. Sean Baker, mm-hmm. and um, he was doing other methods to prevent surgery, changing people's lifestyle, changing people's uh-huh. diet, different training, uh, or, you know, physical therapy, things like that. And he actually um, he actually got blackballed from mm-hmm. because he oh. was have
1: surgeries I have I've been censored multiple times because the the engine that could doesn't like to hear what I have to say Um, I am really um, I say a lot of things to antagonize all of the middlemen and there's 15 middlemen in the middle taking a piece of the pie between the patient and their caregiver so I say a lot <laughs> to um, admonish those middlemen because we don't need them. You really don't need them. Um, in fact, I would, I'm starting to lean towards the fact that you don't really need health insurance, especially employers. If give, all you need is a bank account and then a nurse like me, seriously, and let me negotiate. Um, there is nothing that exists in the market today that wasn't created by registered nurses 30 years ago, only we used to call it case management. So reference-based reimbursement, uh, pharmaceutical disease management is a rollover off of the nurses that were doing it back in the day. We just would call you and say, okay, here's what's going on with the pharmacy component of this case, what should I do, right? Um, Reference-based reimbursement, disease management, case management, all of it was all created by nurses way back in the day when the insurance companies were trying to control the costs for their clients.
0: So now what are you suggesting? You're suggesting um, no insurance, just a bank account, or isn't there something, educate me, um, isn't there something where you can buy this, cat as an employer, you can buy this catastrophic
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Plan or something to take care of the hundred thousand dollar claim if there is one, like a cancer or whatever, is that right. correct? But
1: yes, yeah, uh, some some right. brokers are doing that. Um, I haven't seen the outcome of that arrangement though, um, because defined catastrophic for me, right? right? So usually it's around certain diagnoses like cancers, etc. But the problem with that is in any given employer, it doesn't matter what size, I spent a lot of time in the data, looking at the data. And that's when I realized that the health plan performance reports were designed to sell another product. And and, uh, because I'm like, wait, this, based on the pathology of the disease process, this isn't truly going to be an issue for this employer. It's going to be an issue for Medicare once the patient is, past the age of retirement. So why are we spending all of this money in the employer space to manage this ineffectively, by the way, without an ROI, when it's not going to really cost this employer anything until the patient's gone? So I would do a lot of conversations around focus on your high-cost claimants But then people get stuck with, how about we find those people before they become high-cost claimants? And that is where we need to be building the relationship with all of the members because um, the other thing I say all the time is the data. Number one, it's dirty, really dirty data. And the second thing is claims data is dirty. And then the second thing is it's only half of the equation. And the other half of the equation comes when a nurse picks up the phone and talks to the member and gets all of that non-claim information. So to, to, the, to explain that, I use the example of two traumatic brain injury patients, same age, same exact injury, same hospital, the whole nine yards. But one case is a tremendous amount of savings versus the other one, and it's because the level of dysfunctionality in the family. So this patient had a very supportive family who could understand how to care and treat for them. This one was highly dysfunctional. And that is what altered the outcome of the case. You know what's interesting? You you hit on something and Janet and I
0: see this often in healthcare, we think, um, and this is probably not going to go over very well when I say this, but... Uh, so speaking of that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, we see a lot that it seems like disadvantaged people get mm-hmm. take, taken advantage of in healthcare more than anybody else.
1: Oh, uh, absolutely! And our, our, Medi-
0: our Medicaid population is 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 horrible.
1: Well, there's a reason right? why, right? So there's a reason why the the big now we're on the other side of the equation. <laughs> But the insurance companies that take care of that population, there's a reason why the states turn around and sue them for multiple millions of dollars. So I worked at one for a short time. And when I left, I said, it's just a matter of a couple of years before you start seeing the lawsuits come along. And it's now happening. You see it like 14 different states have sued this company. Um and so much of it has to do with the infrastructure of the organization that is um, signing up for these jobs. Uh, they, I have seen multiple companies crumble because they don't understand the difference between case management and disease management. And the salesman will go out and sell one thing, but then you read between the lines and it's the other. They're two completely different disciplines, you know what I mean? So it's like uh, we need to get somehow to the people who are doing the actual work and let them be the decision makers for the organization. Does that make sense? For sure. Because but when you get that upper echelon in there that don't truly understand what business they're in, it kinda crumbles. Well I think that's a good <laughs> yeah I think,
0: I think that's a good segue into your book. Tell us about tell us about your book, Nurses Take Back Healthcare well, One day at a time. Tell us about so, this.
1: So so this was really kind of funny because the whole reason why I wrote this book was because I was angry at Dave Chase.
0: <laughs> he,
1: I, he, tell me who Dave Chase is Okay, so Dave Chase came out with a book, and he is a he's a writer and he's a marketer, and he's very very eloquent. He did a TED talk, and he's a great guy, right? And he developed this organization called Health Rosetta, and he published a book that said um, I can't remember the exact name of it, but something about the uh, a letter to the CEO as to how healthcare uh, stole the American dream. Right. And so I read his book and I'm like, he's spot on. But how you've not, you're not a clinician. How, what is, what is this all about? And so I said, let's look at this from a clinician's viewpoint. So I, that's why I wrote this. And the reality is, is that there are so much uh, focus on that middleman, the broker, right? millions and millions and millions of dollars into these brokerage firms. And all they're doing is pumping uh, wellness, which is, let's put an apple in your vending machines instead of soda. Um, No, (laughs) that's not the... People who are already healthy have a tendency to perform well in that realm. And it's the people that are in that middle spot, they don't have a diagnosis yet. Um, they're gonna be heading that direction. That's where your focus should be. Keep the healthy people healthy. put apples in your machine. Give them water instead of pop. You know the, everybody knows that stuff. We don't sure. need to pay for it in addition. you know, don't have smoking policies on your. Don't let them smoke in your factory, whatever. But it's that middle population. That's where we should be spending most of our time, and making sure that they have all the services. And they're probably not even thinking about it. Well,
0: and and, and speaking of your book, I love the name, by the way. Oh, and thank gonna, you. Yeah, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just, um, you know, add to it a little bit. Okay. I have, I have a lot of, um, and I'm sure as well as you do, I have a lot of doctor friends. Right. And and they often say doctors need to take take healthcare back, and and really what what it is is healthcare <laughs> professionals need to take healthcare back, right?
1: Right, right. And yeah. I want and I only want the very best doctors to go along with me.
0: Well, and not not the That's, ones who's the preferred provider for BUCAs, right?
1: Or the one who is going to a different state to pick up patients because no one in that state will. Go, but, yeah, yeah I, right? I want the very best yeah. doctors alongside me yeah. yeah
0: and if you remember um, you know when when I practiced in a pharmacy in a hospital pharmacy um, 25 plus years ago mm-hmm. I mean basically it was you know many many years ago. It was basically doctors and nurses that took care of patients.
1: Right. Now there are
0: so many people involved in that process mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with clinical care whatsoever. Right. Right.
1: And, it, and it, that was the beginning of the downfall. I can mark right. it down to 1992 was when we said, oh, there's a nursing shortage. No, there's never been a nursing shortage, people, Ever. Ever in a million years. What happens is we get burnt out. And in my day we got burnt out in ten years, and now the burnout rate is two.
0: I was gonna say, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's we just go do other things because we can't do it anymore. Yeah. So and we're that sandwiched profession in between the patient and everybody else. So um but the physicians the physicians I have gotten to the point where it's the physicians and the nurses and the other clinicians that are willing to walk away from the money and go to their profession and try to do it on their own. Those are the people I'm looking for Absolutely. because you got to walk away from the money.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things is that the system, you know, big healthcare corporations, hospitals, and big corporations, they have so much money to offer these positions mm-hmm. and nurses too, um, that it's hard for them to say no. But mm-hmm. in reality, you know, you have to have some ethics, that's mm-hmm. what we're into healthcare to take care of people. And um, ultimately, we just have to take care of patients and not worry about a big, big salary. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the system is. Is rigged against us, especially mm-hmm. now with how expensive colleges and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So these physicians come out with huge debt. So these hospitals offer this guaranteed salary for two years that is huge, and it's like, wow, I can pay my debt back now. So
1: well, we need to redo it. our. We also need to redo our education systems too. While we're that's at it, that's a, our,
0: whole other, that's a whole other that's, podcast, right? Right, right,
1: <laughs> and we we also need to uh, reconvene our licensing boards and get them under control as well. So it it is, I personally think that if we really wanted to do it the right way, everybody should go through nursing school first. And then if you want to branch off from there, great. But you've got to get that patient component done. There's too many people. I used to train physicians as they were going through. And this is how you run a code, right? And uh, then a year later, they're, they're being nasty to me. And I'm like, listen here, buddy, I trained you. Right. right. Where (laughs) are you coming from? So anyway. I've seen
0: seen nurses save so many physicians butts. It's awesome. Right,
1: right. (laughs) But it's like, but that's, that's okay. I'm okay with doing all of that. I, but I don't want to diagnose and and come up with the treatment plan right i that's not in my i not my passion my passion is taking the best brightest physicians diagnosis and treatment plan and then caring for the patient that's you know what i mean so it's like everybody's got their role but you've got so many techs and people that aren't nurses so I always tell people the last place you want to be if you're really, really super sick is in the hospital. For sure. And that the people that you think are nurses are not nurses. Yeah. They're they're techs. Yeah. And so if you are waiting for that tech to... Now, not all techs are terrible. There are some that intuitively pick stuff up. But that's one of the reasons why I left because I can't let... The patient that has the big sign on their wall that says "bed complete bed rest" because he's got clots. Don't get him up to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, those types of things that I I just couldn't be bedside nursing anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, and. I mean, by design and thank goodness is that, and this is why I love nurses. One of the reasons I love nurses is, you know, they are patient advocates. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys are the biggest patient advocate out of anybody on a healthcare team.
1: Mm-hmm. And that,
0: that's what you guys are trained to do. That's right. You know, I mean, kind of like first and foremost, maybe, I don't know. Um, and so that is why it's so important that, you know, the terms we use in healthcare, I mean, it a lot of people get called nurses, but are they really a nurse? I mean, were right. they my training that that's, and that's really important. Same thing with physicians. I mean, you know, a lot of people get called doctors now, right. in the field, but they're not really MDs or DOs or not right. doctors. So, right. you know, you need to be careful about those terms. So, um, so do you have an example mm-hmm. of, can you give us an example, a patient example of where you saved an employer or a patient, you know, a, a lot of resources,
1: Oh, sure. Uh, Back in the day of case management, where we had the ability to negotiate and come up with alternative plans, right? So a physician wanted to transfer this patient from here to there. And we said, yeah, let's talk to the family, see what's going on. And we actually got the patient home and then supported them at home. That's significant amounts of money today. Uh, And and not only
0: that, but... Like you say, the most dangerous place to be is a hospital.
1: Right. It absolutely is. Get them home and get, and then get the right people surrounding them at home to support the family. Uh, The biggest one always was uh, traumatic brain injury or spinal cord injury patients. This is my own personal experience. Uh, We can do it with a lot of chemo, uh, cancer cases, but get into a centers of excellence because if I had a traumatic brain injury in Florida or Des Moines, Iowa or Arizona, it didn't matter where they were, I'd pick them up and fly them to Craig Rehab in Colorado. And the reason why is because Craig Rehab could get everything stabilized for the patient, train the family on how to care for the patient. And it cost me $100,000 said and done. And so it was worth that five thousand dollar air flight, right, yeah, to get right. them out, um, to get them out of where they probably are going to kill the guy because they don't know how to handle this trauma, right? So, right. it's life saving, etc. But what happened with case management is that physicians didn't like nurses rec- making recommendations, and so there was this huge pushback. Um, And I still see physicians pushing back on utilization review, but I'm like, that's because you're an honest physician. What we're there for is to keep the guy who's treating cancer patients in a (laughs) tent with recliners and he's giving them saline drips and saying he's curing them. So we find those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's a pain in the rear end for all the the good guys, but there's a lot of bad guys out there that we catch.
0: Well, yeah. And I would ultimately, like you say, the good guys, I would ultimately think that um, the good doctors really like working with good nurses.
1: Right. Right.
0: guys, you guys are not only advocates for the patient, which is what they need to be, but you're advocates for them because they're kind of ultimately in charge and you're, You know, so you're helping them take care of the patient.
1: Well, you know, we should talk about the quality of care data that exists on on providers. And the reality is it doesn't. And so there's these hundreds of thousands of dollars being spent on these systems that measure the quality of the physician. And I always would tell people, don't spend your money on that. What we need is a network of nurses across the country because that's what we do. Is we call each other and say, "Who's a good doctor? Who's the best guy? (laughs) Who who would you send your mom to?" Okay, all right, we got it. And that is the kind of networking that I want to build because it's time that uh, you know there was only one doctor I worked with in the cath lab that I would send my mom and dad to, and that was Doctor Amar Nath. You know, yeah, and I worked with fifty cardiologists. So it's it's this guy, right? So I, I think that uh, I've seen so many negative things happen to people that didn't need to happen. Surgeries, uh, where we have turned the healthcare system into something that harms people. It's time to stop. Yeah, very sad. Yeah.
0: What What's the first step for an employer? I'm going to go ahead and, and stream your website here. What's the first step for oh. an employer if they have questions for you, or you know, yeah, they want to reach out to see how they can save money for their employees, yeah, and well, healthcare.
1: Yeah, and it's not even just saving them money; it's about making sure that their pe- their people are well taken care of. That's and we used to say, you know, improve the quality, lower the cost. Well, let's let's have that discussion about do you, what, what do you want to do as a patient, right? That's the main thing. Um, but the way that they, they do it is just let me know. I've got a whole army of people that I work with and collaborate with from broker advisors to PBMs to um, the whole nine yards. And so reach out to me and I'll get people connected. And that's really what Connections is, was really all about, is that I've got this huge network of people who are all trying to fight the good fight. And, and what is the name of the website? It's uh, ConnectionsHCC.com.
0: And uh, as we wrap this podcast up, um, yeah. thank, thank you so much for this information. This is great. As always, one of the, 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 the coolest things about these podcasts, I get to meet great people like yourself. Yeah. And just learn from you, mm-hmm. um, and it sounds. And also, it sounds like you know we kind of speak a little bit of the same language, and mm-hmm. that's always nice to to hear when another healthcare professional is uh, is um, on the same page as us. So,
1: well, I do have one question for you. Sure, and this might be a loaded gun. But, so I think that the situation that we've gone through as a country with COVID, and our government has had a huge is like gas being poured on a flame. And I would like to know your opinion on that.
0: Well, I mean, that's a pretty uh, broad answer or a broad question, I guess. Right. Um, but I think so. I think, you know, I agree with you. What, what has really happened, I think, um, is the system has been exposed. Mm-hmm. So now over the last two and a half, three years now, um, people that had any kind of question about our healthcare being kind of a corrupt system, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people now realize it's just they know it's true, right? Um, you know, so I mean, if there was any good that came out of this COVID thing, I think that the systems have been exposed. So, right. I've never seen in my in my entire life more people trying to access different forms of healthcare. Um, payment systems like you're talking about,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, whether it's something from the traditional stuff where they just don't trust it anymore. The book is, as you call it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they just don't trust that they have their best interest in mind, which they don't. Right. So, they, you know, they're looking for other things. People that are, you know, I had, I interviewed Dr. Paul Merrick of the mm-hmm. FLCCC last week and, you know, through the whole pandemic, he, decided he didn't want to be on medication anymore. So he changed his lifestyle to get off blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes medications, Mm -hmm. um, because he doesn't doesn't trust big pharma.
1: Right, right. (laughs) Well, I, I have doctors that are basically telling me everything that I used to teach cardiac patients was wrong.
0: I'm not surprised. Yeah.
1: Right. So it is time for us to... Uh, nurses, connect with patients, and pr- protect them because they've got stuff coming at them at all angles. So right. let's help patients make appropriate decisions for themselves.
0: Absolutely. And absolutely.
1: we'll network from there. <laughs> absolutely.
0: I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So, so, Jeannie, thank you for being on today. I really, truly appreciate it. You have helped us realize our goal of educating and empowering individuals mm-hmm. to take charge of their own health. So, thank you so much.
1: Right. Thank you.
0: Listeners and viewers, stay, stay on, um, Amy or uh, Jeannie, so I can talk to you afterwards. Okay. Uh, listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in today. Do not miss Friday. Janet and I will be in um, Arkansas, and we will be streaming live with uh, Dr. Amy Beard. She's a functional medicine doctor and has been on our podcast a few times. And we are going to be talking about nature therapy and the importance of nature therapy and how it keeps us healthy. So that will be 9 a.m central time, so 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on all the platforms I mentioned earlier. So um, you don't want to miss out. Thank you for tuning in and listening today to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you.